Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Bible or your device, uh, go with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Amen. Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm going to be reading from verses 31 and 32, just two quick verses in your hearing. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. And if you don't have that, it is on the screen. I want you to hear the word of the Lord. Everybody got it? If you have it, say, I'm there. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. Do not envy the oppressor. Somebody say the oppressor and choose none of his ways. For the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord. But his secret counsel, somebody say secret counsel, is with the upright. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of our God. I want to preach for a little while using as a subject, I'm going to get you sucker. Amen. I'm, I'm going to get you sucker. Father, thank you for this time. Help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to get you sucker. <laughs> Uh, in the classic comedy released in 1988, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, African-American media mogul Keenan Ivory Waynes, before he founded In Living Color, makes his directorial debut in Stars as the main character he portrays, as he portrays Jack Spade, a soldier who comes home from war to find out that his little brother Junebug has overdosed on gold chains. <laughs> Distraught over the loss of his brother and by the damage that the influx of gold chains has done to the community, Jack Spade decides that he is going to get revenge and sets out to get payback on Mr. Big, the crime lord that is responsible for the destruction that is plaguing his community. And although the movie is a comedy that sets out to parody the black exploitation era of film, it also sheds a critical light on the pain in black communities caused by an American system that has been set up to support white supremacy at the expense of everyone who is not white. Jack Spade looks at the death of his little brother, the destruction of his neighborhood, the police who refuse to intervene and decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands and declares, I'm going to get you, sucker. And even though this film this, this black classic is filled with comedic genius. What stands out to me is the fact that it shows us that it is entirely possible for a black man or woman to look at the world around them and get angry about what they see. Is there anybody here who has ever looked at the world around them and gotten angry about what you saw? Have you ever taken the time to survey your surroundings and seen an American society that is filled with racism, permeated by privilege and built on the backs of the oppressed and gotten angry? Have you ever been watching the news and seen the antics of foolhardy 45? Have you ever been sitting at your desk at work and heard racially insensitive commentary from your coworkers? Have you ever called the police or had the police called on you and been treated like a criminal even before you went to trial? And if you've been there, then you know what it means to be angry. As a matter of fact, some of you didn't say amen when I talked about Keenan Ivory Waynes because you're not feeling my cinematic segue into the sermon. So allow me to call another witness into the courtroom of consciousness because 17 years before Keenan Ivor Wayne's released, I'm going to get you sucker. A musical genius by the name of Marvin Gaye released a song entitled Inner City Blues where he looked at a society that was overdosing not on gold chains, but on blue magic. A community that was being beaten up not by the henchmen of Mr. Big, but by the boys in blue. 
Marvin Gaye looked at a country that was going crazy and the pain that was being inflicted upon people of color and instead of declaring I'm going to get you sucker in inner city blues Marvin Gaye said that the pain the persecution and the poverty that was so pervasive in his community made him want to holler and throw up both of his hands okay you ain't feeling me yet and I want to submit to someone under the sound of my voice that it doesn't matter how holy you are it does not matter how long you've been in church it does not matter how well put together you are sometimes when you look at the reality look at the reality of being black in America it will make you want to holler and throw up both your hands when the model of the police seems to be harass and shoot rather than serve and protect it'll make you want to holler oh God when 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 women on average are two times more educated than their male counterparts in the workplace and on average make 40% less it will make you want to holler when one side of the political spectrum fails to see the value in the life of a fetus but then the other side fails to see the value in the life of a Freddie Gray it makes you want to holler the reality is we live in a country beloved that laid its foundations on the promise of freedom for one group of people and on the oppression and subjugation of another and when you finally become woke to the reality that it, we live in an era where people are cheering make America great again we who are marginalized simply because we are melanated have to deal with the painful realization that America has never been great before God help me and I don't care how saved and how Holy Ghost filled you are when you think about the oppression that we as a people have suffered in what Maya Angelou calls these yet to be United States it will cause you anger that makes you want to get even God help me is there anybody here who can admit pastor I'm saved I love Jesus but when I think about how crazy things are in this country I get angry because just like Rosa Parks I'm tired God help me is there anybody here who can say I'm tired I'm tired of watching the news and seeing the same old thing I'm tired God help me of looking at my life every day and dealing with the same struggle I'm tired of having to explain to white people why they can't say that why they can't laugh at that joke why it's not okay for them to do the things they do why it's not okay for them to touch my hair and pet me like I'm a dog I'm tired God help me and is there anybody here who can admit that yes you're saved but sometimes you get angry and I know that most churches will never talk about it but the reality of our existence as black people is that if we sit long enough and think hard enough about the plight of people of color we will become angry and yet a part of being a black believer in America is learning to live within the tension of knowing that I have the right to be angry about a system that has consistently served injustice to my people but in the midst of that anger deciding not to model the mentality of those who have pushed me to the margins and trusting the Lord to get the victory over an American system that has gotten over on me God help me I know you don't feel me yet but being black and at the same time being Christian means that I have a right to express discontent I have a right to protest the injustices that have become as American as apple pie and the 4th of July I have a right to be upset about racism and prejudice and imprison people in inhumane condition at the border but at the same time because I am a believer I have a responsibility to remember that change justice and salvation come not from my ability to protest but they come from the manifested might of the almighty God and even though my life may make me want to retaliate my declaration can't be I'm going to get you sucker but instead I have to refuse to allow my pain and my anger to cause me to adopt the attitudes and actions of those who have profited from my oppression and in spite of my oppression I've got to declare that I would love to see the tables turn but I will not turn them myself instead I will trust in the Lord oh God I know you don't feel it yet but being a believer in America means that you got to see what's wrong you've got to protest what's wrong but at the same time you got to trust God to change what's wrong you've got to put your trust in the Lord and this is the message that is presented to us beloved in this particular passage of scripture Solomon the son of King David the king of 
of Israel and the wisest man the Bible says who has ever lived or ever will live is taking the time to instruct his son in Proverbs chapter 3 so that he might find wisdom itself but in Proverbs chapter 3 Solomon tells his son that he will find protection prosperity and peace by placing his trust not in his father's wisdom but in the source of his father's wisdom the Lord God Yahweh himself God help me this is highlighted in what I believe to be the summary of the entire chapter in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6 when it says trust in the Lord you remember this Sunday school verse with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight Solomon then promises his son that if he puts his trust in the Lord then God will direct his path provide him with increase and fill him with wisdom but when we come to verse 31 beloved Solomon gives his son a pointed reminder not just to trust the Lord to direct his path to provide him with increase and to fill him with wisdom but he also tells his son to trust the Lord hear me now to wrestle with his oppressors God help me so that he does not take the battle into his own hands Solomon tells his son in verse 31 hear me do not envy the oppressor and choose none of his ways for the perverse person is an abomination to the Lord but his secret counsel is with the upright the text then is teaching us that there is an oppressor I know people don't want to admit it they want to act like we're all brothers and sisters and that everybody is right no beloved there is an oppressor oppression is a real thing especially in the life of the people of God but we have a responsibility not to become like the oppressor but rather to put our trust in the Lord now it's very interesting when you look at the original language of the text we have to pay attention to the words envy and oppressor because the word envy in the Hebrew language does not simply mean uh, desire or to desire deeply the way it does in English but there was a deeper meaning in the original language of the text because to envy means to support rally behind or become overwhelmingly angry with God help me I, I, it means to support to rally behind or to become overwhelmingly angry with God help me you missed it uh, in, in an era of Trump uh, 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 envy means to support God help me to rally behind or become overwhelmingly angry with now I just want to ask you real quickly and I got to move on where have you failed because you might not support the oppressor you might not rally behind the oppressor but some of us have become overwhelmingly angry with the oppressor and God says when I say do not envy I'm talking about supporting rally behind or becoming too angry about something you know in and of yourself you cannot change but let me pause there and backtrack some of us do not do oppression God help me none of us in here I hope uh, we don't do oppression but we give our support to the oppressor God help me let me pause there parenthetically for a moment and just say I don't understand how you can be a black and a Christian and support Donald Trump I, I don't understand it I, I don't understand it how you can be an African American or you can be a believer in Jesus Christ and support the policies the behavior and the personality of that wicked white man in the White House I, I don't know how in the world you can call yourself a believer and support someone that promotes misogyny and bigotry and prejudice and crime and hatred how in the world can you support it because the Bible says do not envy that kind of a person and envy means to support and I know people are saying crazy stuff like we didn't elect a pastor we elected a president we, we we're not supporting uh, him we're just supporting the party but he is the face of the party he is the leader of the free world and it's your support of him that put him in the White House in the first place and let me pause there again just to point out that it's not just white Republicans that are pr uh, promoting Donald Trump. Matter of fact, it's not even just Republicans that are promoting Donald Trump. There are some secret and snake-like Democrats and people who don't want to be known as racist that are decrying him on Twitter and then going to the ballot box and giving him their vote. And the Bible said that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you can't support a person of violence. Yeah, envy. But check this out, the word oppressor 
is a Hebrew word, Hamas. Now, you've heard this because it is the name of a terrorist organization in Palestine. Hamas literally means violent man. It speaks to a person who gains power, influence, or amasses wealth by the means of oppression. So the text is literally telling us that even though we are oppressed, we are not to seek to be like, support, or become overwhelmingly angered by the person who rules and gains power through violence and oppression, nor are we to adopt any of their behaviors. This is important because as believers, we know that God has purpose in our pain. Yeah. Uh, uh, our situations, our circumstance, our standings in life as African Americans have been a source of great pain. But as believers, we don't stay there because we understand that God has purpose in our pain. But just like God has purpose for our pain, the enemy also has a desired purpose in our pain. And Satan wants us or wants to use our pain to cause the anger it induces to make us adopt the attitudes of our abusers. Satan wants to pervert your pain to turn you into the person that hurt you. God help me. Because pain, hear me, is perpetuated when we adopt the attitudes of our oppressors. God help me. Uh, uh, as Christians, we got to understand that we have a responsibility to get hurt and not act like the people who hurt us. God help me. And somebody in here, you know it. You don't want to raise your hand. You don't want to say amen because you know some of the attitude that you have now didn't come from you. But it's copying the behavior of somebody who injured you. God, help me. Uh, God, Some of you were abused and then started acting like your abusers. Come on, black people. We know that the cycle of abuse in the African-American community has been perpetuated by the reality that people endured abuse, did not have a safe place to tell about their abuse. And so they reenacted it on their little brothers and sisters and cousins. And so now we have cycles of abuse in our homes and in our communities. Come on here. You don't want to tell the truth. But God says that I've got a responsibility as a believer to endure abuse, to endure oppression, but not to allow it to turn me into a copy of my abuser or my oppressor. How do I do this then? I do it because I understand that deliverance comes when we acknowledge our anger in a safe place. God, help me. Oh, God, I don't know who I'm preaching to, uh, but somebody should have told you a long long time ago that after all the hell you've been through it's all right for you to be angry God help me who am I preaching to in the building somebody that comes to church and put a mask on every Sunday feeling like you got to pretend like you okay with everything that happened to you like you've honestly forgiven everybody and like you've honestly gotten over everything but there were some things in your life that seriously injured you and God wants you to know that it's okay for you to be angry because he knows that you never thought it would be like this God help me is there anybody in the building who can stop pretending like you're so satisfied and happy with your life and be honest about the fact that you did not think it would be like this that that, that when you check your bank account you didn't think it would be like this when you go to work and clock in on a Monday you didn't think it would be like this when you look at your relationship life and you look at your age and you look at the plans that you wrote down when you were a senior in high school and you see that life has not lined up with what you said it was going to look like you never thought things would be like this and it's okay beloved for you to be angry God help me I'm trying to get somebody delivered in the building today you've got to learn that it's all right for you to be upset about some things it's okay for you to be angry about some things but as Christians we are called to understand that even though we might have righteous and justified anger righteous anger never justifies unrighteous 
righteous behavior. God, help me. Even when it's directed at unrighteous people. God, help me. Being a Christian means that we have to accept the fact that just like my oppressor did not have the right to hurt me, I don't have the right to take vengeance on them because that would make me just like them. God, help me. Oh, God, I want to help somebody get free because Christians believe that just because we're righteously angry, that we're angry about the things that make God angry, that we have a responsibility to act hateful. Come here. I want to talk to somebody that's homophobic, that calls people punks and a nasty name that shouldn't be mentioned amongst the among the people of God. You're calling them out of their name, but then you want to draw them with the love of God. Even though you have a right to be angry about the behavior of sin, you have no right to behave unrighteously to the perpetrator of sin because they're a person just like you. God, help me. And if we can apply it to homophobia, if we can apply it to transphobia, if we can apply it to racism, then we can also apply it to our neighbors that don't see things the way we see them. Just because you're a racist, that doesn't give me the right to behave unrighteously towards you. I want to help somebody now. Because God, if he's going to be glorified, has to be justified in the means to be justified in the ends. Oh, God. Uh, God has to be glorified in how you do what you do in order to be glorified in what you've done. So you can't get righteousness through unrighteous behavior. Hate will never glorify God. Even if you're hating somebody that hated you. God, help me. Oh, Lord. So I can't retaliate against a racist because then that would put me in the eyes of God in the same boat as the racist. God, help me. This is why I love the philosophy of Malcolm X, but I don't love all of his methods. I, I, I love to hear Louis Farrakhan's oratory skill, but I can't get with every one of his methods because any means necessary is not a behavior that glorifies God because if Jesus was able to endure what he endured and did not lash out did not strike did not hurt his oppressors then we have to learn how to be like Jesus and trust the Lord yeah we got to trust God I know you don't like that I know uh, I know we want to get back and get even and and hurt those who hurt us but we've got to trust God but let me help you. Trust in the Lord is not passive resignation. Yeah. It's not just sitting back and being quiet and saying God is going to handle it. But trusting in God means that I've got to fight injustice while waiting on God to do what only he can do. Okay. Uh. You don't get it. Let me help you. Um, I was on the phone with one of my friends uh, talking about this message last night. And uh, he told me uh, about a man that he used to pastor who told him a story about when his wife was in labor with their third child. Somehow or another, uh, throughout the pregnancy rather, uh, his wife kept on telling him Baby, if you could do just one thing for me, I really want to have that fancy car seat installed in the car before I get home from the hospital. Uh, you, we, we don't have a lot of extra money. Uh, we've got two other children. This is our third. We know not to spend a whole bunch of money on fancy clothes and cute onesies and diapers. We're going to bank on the baby shower, save our money. But there is one thing I want, that fancy car seat that I saw at Target. Could you get that car seat for me and have it installed in the car before I get home from the hospital? You ain't with me yet, but I promise I'm going somewhere. So they, she goes into labor uh, and she gets to the hospital and somehow or another in labor something horrible happens to her body to which the child and 
her, the child's life and her life are both in danger. The husband is sitting outside of the room. They've now put him out of the room. They won't let him go in and check on his wife. His wife's life is at risk and his child's life is at risk and there is nothing that he can do about it. The doctor tells him, sir, just go out there and have a seat. We're doing everything we can. We're going to do all we can to save your wife. And instead of going out there and sitting in the waiting room, uh, the man does something, David, that totally blows my mind. My friend tells me that the man told him that instead of going and sitting in the waiting room, he realized that his wife had asked him to get that car seat and he never did it. So there was a target across the street from the hospital. He leaves the hospital, goes to target, buys the car seat and installs the car seat in the car because the car seat is fancy. It takes him over an hour to install the car seat in the car. He's out there installing Donnell the car seat in the car. He gets it installed, pulls the car back around to the parking spot, parks it in the parking spot, goes back upstairs. When he goes back upstairs and looks in the room, the door is not closed but it's open and his wife who is in danger is laying there sedated and there is a baby sitting in a basket. And I asked Johnny, my friend, I said, Doc, uh, how in the world was he able to go to Target, get a car seat while his wife is sitting up there bleeding and the baby is in danger? He could have lost his wife and lost his baby. Why would he do that? That's irresponsible. Why would he leave his wife there in the hospital under the care of those doctors? He don't know those people. He doesn't know what they're doing to his wife. And he told me something that blew my mind. The man told him, when I realized that I'm not a doctor and that I couldn't help her, but I remembered that there was something that she asked me to do. I decided to do everything I could do, God help me, and let the doctors do everything they could do. So while I was doing my part, God help me, the doctor was doing their part. Come here, let me preach to you. The responsibility of the believer while trusting God to deliver us from injustice, inadequacies, racism, and prejudice is not for us to sit in church and clap our hands and say that the Lord will make a way, but it's for us to protest, to picket, to cry aloud, and spare not to do everything we can do while the great doctor in heaven is doing everything he can do. I'm waiting on God to do what he can do, but at the meantime, I'm doing what I know I can do. And is there anybody here who can say, I'm waiting on God? I'm going to do all I can do while I'm waiting on him to do what only he can do. Yeah. So then the text is tailored to teach us, I'm almost finished, that we cannot take our oppressors into our own hands. But we have a responsibility, beloved, to trust in the Lord. But then the question becomes, what does it mean to trust the Lord? Yeah. What, what does it mean? I mean, really, to trust the Lord. Uh, I, I tried to define this for the purpose of preaching. I, I tried my best to come up with a definition that would help me unpack the existential reality of what it means to place our trust in the Lord. Uh, and at first, what I, what I thought was, it means to hope for the best. Right? That, that's, that's what I said. I, I said, trusting in God means to hope for the best. Uh, but there's a problem with that. Because what I think is best and what God knows is best may be two different things. So trusting in God can't simply mean to hope for the best. Uh, it also does not mean that I sit by passively and wait. Because some things God needs me to do to activate his power in the earth. God help me. Uh, uh, so I, it's not simply hoping for the best and it's not sitting by passively and waiting and then God allowed me to understand that trust literally means believing the best about God at all times. God help me. Trusting the Lord, hear me clearly, means believing the best about God at all times. Oh God, this means that I don't have to understand what I'm going through and I don't need what I'm dealing with to make sense to me 
because no matter how bad my situation feels, trust says I believe his intentions are good. God, help me. Oh, God, I, I know uh, that you don't like that because you're a control freak like me. You want to know everything that's about to happen. You want to be in control of every outcome. You want to be in control of every variable. You want to know uh, so that you can strategize and so that you can plan and so that you can do your vision board and so that you can have your dreams written down in your journal. Oh, God. But sometimes God will allow things in your life to happen that you do not understand. But in the midst of bad things happening that you don't understand you've got to trust that God's intentions are good God help me you've got to trust that his intentions are good what does that mean pastor Josh trusting that God's intentions are good means that number one I've got to accept that he knows what's best for me God help me I'm preaching better than y'all looking at me I've got to trust that he knows what's best for me God help me I know you think you know what's best for you. I know you think you know how you want life to work out. I know that you've made your own plans and you've got your own desires and you've got stuff in your life that you want to see work out a certain way. If I was to read your mind right now, you've got a story and a, and a vision planned out for your life and that's cool, but you got to hold that thing with a loose grip because God is the one who knows what's best for you. Is there anybody here that's honest enough to look back over your life and think about things that you wanted to go a certain way think about things that you prayed to go a certain way think about things that you cried over and asked God to give you and asked God to do a certain way and it didn't work out that way but then when you look back over your life you're glad that he knew what was best for you that that situation that you couldn't stand made you better yeah to trust God's intentions then beloved means to live in two realities Number one, it means to believe that he knows what's best for me. But not only does it mean to believe that he knows what's best for me, it means that I've got to believe that he wants what's best for me. God, help me. Uh, it's one thing to know what's best. Uh, but you got people in your life like that. They, they know what's best. <laughs> uh, they know that that relationship you in is a dead end. Uh, because, but, but, but they won't say anything to you about the loser or the gold digger that you're dating uh, because they know what's best, but they don't want what's best. God, help me. Uh, th th there are people in your life that know you need to start a business because you keep getting fired and getting irritated with every employer that you work for, but they want you to continue to use your uh, intellectual and energetic capital to make somebody else rich because they know what's best. God help me here. Uh, but they don't want what's best. But the thing I love about the Lord is not only does the Lord know what's best for me, David, the Lord wants what's best for me. God help me. The Bible says, Mike sang it, if God be for us. Uh, now that presents for us a uh, a, a bit of a, a perplexity, a conundrum, a, a difficult situation to unpack because the writer Paul says, if God be for us, God help me. He's asking a question. He's saying, if the Lord is on your side. Uh, but the real translation of the text is not if God be for us. It is because God is for us. Lord help me. Uh, and somebody in the building needs to know uh, that God is for us. God help me. Uh, that God is pro you. God help me. Uh, I was going to say that God is pro black. Uh, and I mean that uh, because you are black uh, and God is pro you. Uh, but God is on your side. God help me. And somebody needs to know that today day. That's your encouragement in the midst of a hard place. Uh, that God is for you. Uh, that he not only wants or knows what's best for you, but he wants what's best for you. He is working things out on your behalf. And trusting the Lord, uh, believing the best about God, means that I have to understand and know uh, that he knows what's best for me. Uh, and that he wants what's best for me. Uh, and this allows me then, uh, in the midst of a hard 
hard times to operate from a position of trust. Why is it important to operate, Pastor Josh, from a position of trust? I'm so very glad you asked me. Because when I operate from a position of trust, it allows the responsibility for the outcome to be taken off of me and it places it on God. God help me. When I operate from a position of trust, I am no longer responsible for how things work out. But God now is obligated to bring about the happy ending that he has intended in his mind. And what you got to understand about the devil is self-reliance then, beloved, is a trick of the enemy to make you responsible for situations that you can't possibly control. Because you do understand that you can't control your life. God, help me. Oh, God. Not trusting God with the tithe is a trick of the enemy to make you responsible for your own provision. God, help me. Because if you think that you're a better money manager than the Lord, oh, God, then you're responsible then to manage your money and to keep yourself out of harm's way financially. But when you trust in the Lord and you give him your money, then he's responsible to make sure that all of your ends meet. Trusting yourself in relationships and trusting your judgment and your physical type to pick your spouse or your significant other is a trick of the devil to cause you to be responsible for the maintenance of that relationship. Dating somebody in isolation without receiving sound counsel from seasoned people and spiritual leadership is a trick of the enemy to make you responsible to hold that thing together yourself because self-reliance puts the onus of the happy ending on you. But when I really begin to trust in God, Lord help me, when I totally depend on him, my trust in God gives me the right to expect him to make whatever it is all right, God help me. When I trust in God, that allows me to believe in spite of a bad situation that God will work it out. Oh God, I don't know who's in the building, but is there anybody who can say that that's your confession and your testimony? You've gone through enough stuff in your life to where you know that you can't fix stuff yourself. You can't raise your children right enough. You can't praise God hard enough. You can't budget well enough. God's got to work it out. But is there anybody here who can say that's my testimony? That I trusted that the Lord will work it out. And when I look back over my life and I think things over, I see that God has worked it out. And if I and I know that if he's done it before, he can do it again. Do me a favor now because y'all sleep on me. Touch your neighbor and wake him up real quick and say, God will work it out. Lord, help me. God will work it out. I know you don't have any uh, light at the end of the tunnel. I know that you don't feel like it's going to work out, but God told me to tell you that he will work it out because when you trust in the Lord, it makes him responsible to work out what's working over on you. Okay. Let me quit. Uh, Solomon then is teaching his son and also teaching us that we cannot allow our pain to pervert us into the image of the ones who hurt us. We have a responsibility to be better, to not envy the oppressor or to take on any of his ways. I got one point, and I'm in my seat. The question then becomes, how do I keep from becoming like those who caused me pain? That's the question. How do I keep from becoming like the ones who hurt me? Uh, how, how do I do it? How, how do I remain upright and not become perverse? God help me. Uh, because verse 32 says, for the perverse are an abomination to the Lord, but his secret counsel is with the upright. The word perverse in the Hebrew literally means twisted or someone who runs away from what's right. Uh, literally, the picture is painted, beloved, of someone who sees what is right to do, but retreats from what's right 
The same way an enemy retreats from an army that is mightier than they. Yeah. Meaning that they see what's right. But they know to do what's right requires so much of them that they take the easy way out and they do what's wrong. This is why you can't judge the will of God by what is easiest. God help me. Uh, you can't judge the will of God by what you can afford. You can't judge the will of God by what looks good on paper. Because that's what the perverse man does. The perverse man looks at the enormity of the will of God and runs away because it's bigger than them. But God says that if you want to be upright, you've got to choose to do the right thing even when the wrong thing is the quickest way of escape. So then how do I keep from becoming like those who cause me pain? I do it. I got one and I'm done. One point. I do it by believing that God knows how to handle the ones who hurt me. God help me. Oh, you missed it. Let me run it back. Give it to you one more time. How do I keep from becoming like those who cause me pain? I do it, Tiffany, by believing that God knows how to handle the ones who hurt me. Lord, have mercy. Uh, this then gives us two realities to walk in. Number one is this means that I've got to take joy in the fact that it looks like the wicked are winning, but their time is winding up. Lord, have mercy. Uh, I said it looks like the wicked are winning, but their time is winding up. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. It, it, it looks like, it looks like if, if, I look at, if I look at the news long enough, if I, if I look at Twitter long enough, if I stay on social media long enough, it looks like, it looks like, it looks like the wicked are winning. When I hear uh, that, that the Trump, uh, that the Trumpian philosophy of hatred is running rampant throughout the nation, it looks like the wicked are winning. When I see little bitty babies not older than my own children in inhumane, dirty and nasty conditions uh, incarcerated at the border, it looks like, it looks like, uh, looks like the wicked are winning. When people call God's word hatred and intolerance and call alternative lifestyles to God's word love it looks like God help me it looks like it looks like the wicked are winning when people treat God and his church like they're optional but then treat everything else like they're essential it looks like it it looks like the wicked are winning but you got to understand that it is just an appearance Lord have mercy oh it's just an appearance God help me it's just an appearance David says then fret not thyself Lord help me uh, because of evildoers neither be, be thou envious of workers of iniquity for in due season Lord have mercy they shall be cut off like the grass and wither like the green herb God says that it looks like it's happening and it looks like they're winning but you got to understand that time is winding up you don't get it let me help you I was on the phone with my mother this week and I was talking about all the things uh, that are happening in the United States because my mother has decided very wisely and I need to adopt this behavior that she's not going to watch the news. That if she turns on the TV, she's paying all this money for cable. If she turns on the TV, she's going to watch something that entertains her, not something that depresses her. My, my mom says she's not going to watch the news. So I am then my mother's news reporter. I, I am the one that tells my mom every week what's happening in the United States. And I'm telling my mother about everything that's happening, about laws that are being passed and legislation that's being blocked and about Robert Mueller's testimony before Congress. I'm telling my mother about all these things that are happening and as I'm telling her, Chelsea, I feel myself getting heated in my spirit. I'm, I'm getting agitated in my heart. I'm getting mad about everything that's happening. And I said, why in the world I, I, is, is Donald Trump in the White House? I never thought in a million years that that crazy fool on The Apprentice would be the commander in chief, the, the leader 
of the free world and my mother hears the anger in my voice because she's known me for all these 32 years of my life she knows when a baby boy is getting angry and she said well Josh calm down at the very worst he's only got five years left God help me uh, that sooner or later it's gonna be over Lord help me that if he does not lose next November Lord help me that he's only got five years left and this nation God help me that God has sustained for over 200 years is not going to be destroyed by eight years of a fool's reign God help me some of y'all need to understand that it looks like the uh, looks like the wicked are winning right now but their time is winding down God is getting ready to turn this thing around that God is a righteous judge and he will not allow the wicked to rule forever God is getting ready to do something on your behalf Lord help me I know y'all looking at me crazy right now but is there anybody here that believes that God is getting ready to move on my behalf God is getting ready to turn some stuff around let's move from the political and go to the spiritual is there anybody that needs a stronghold broken in their life a stronghold over their marriage a stronghold over their mind a stronghold over their purpose and it looks like the devil is getting over on you you can't quote enough scripture to get over your depression you can't quote enough scripture to get over your anxiety you can't quote enough scripture to deal with your anger and to deal with your regret and to deal with the pain of loss but God said it might look like the devil is winning but I'm getting ready to turn it around on your behalf sooner or later it's going to turn around for you yeah okay I got to believe that God knows how to handle the ones who hurt me that means that I've got to take joy in the reality that it might look like the wicked are winning, but their time is winding up. The Bible says that the perverse are an abomination to the Lord. Oh, Lord have mercy. Uh, I tried to give it to you in a practical way. Let me give it to you in a theological way. It says the perverse are an abomination to the Lord. Uh, abomination means disgusting, means detestable. It means something that needs to be thrown out. Literally in the Hebrew, it's talking about refuse, waste, garbage. That you can't let garbage sit in your house if you value your house because it will begin to change the aroma of your house. You hear what I'm saying? That eventually, God says... Trash has to be put somewhere. God help me. Huh. That I might let it sit for a few hours. If I'm real lazy, I might let it sit for a day. But when it gets to stinking in my house, I've got to get it out of there. And so because the place where I live cares about the environment, Cedric, they want the environment to be free of trash. They've prepared a place for the garbage to go. When it's time to take out the garbage, God help me. And so God says, Lord have mercy, oh, that the, the wicked are an abomination. They are garbage. They are refuse to me. And sooner or later, because I'm a good housekeeper, you do understand the earth is the Lord's. Lord help me. And the fullness thereof. That sooner or later, God's got to take out the garbage. That there is a place that he is going to put every abomination. God help me. Oh Lord, is there anybody here who understands that God is getting ready to tell your oppressors to go to hell? Lord have mercy. God is getting ready to take out the trash in your life. That it might look like the wicked are winning. But the, but the wicked are an abomination to the Lord. That's why you can't behave like the wicked man behaves. Because if you behave like the wicked man behaves, then you'll begin to smell to God like the wicked man smells. Lord have mercy. And when God gets ready to take out the wicked trash, he's going to gather everything that smells like wickedness, perversion, and abomination. So God tells you not to adopt their ways so that you don't begin to smell like they smell. You can't allow hate to rot your heart and cause you to smell like Donald Trump. You can't allow
allow hate to rot your heart and cause you to smell like David Duke. You can't allow hate to rot your heart and make you look like a member and smell like a member of the Ku Klux Klan. You've got to love your enemies. Pray for those that despitefully use you so that when God smells you, you don't smell like the oppressor. You smell like Jesus. He says then, I'm through. Uh, he says that the wicked, the perverse, are an abomination to the Lord. But his secret counsel, somebody say secret counsel. Say it again, say secret counsel. Oh Lord, his secret counsel is with the upright. Lord, have mercy. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to unpack what it means to be upright. To be upright means to be in right standing before God. It literally means to stand up straight in the eyes of God. That uh, the picture is painted in the original language of the Hebrew Masoretic text of a person who bows in shame or stands up in pride. And the only reason I'm able to stand up in pride because, before God is because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because I am in him, his righteousness then becomes my righteousness. So if I am in Jesus and I choose not to adopt the attitudes of my oppressor then I am upright before God which means that his secret counsel somebody say secret counsel is with me now that doesn't shout you because you don't understand what secret counsel means uh, uh, his secret counsel <laughs> secret counsel in the Hebrew uh, literally means company or a circle of advisors lord have mercy it's, uh, uh, it's not good advice because anybody can give you good advice but god differentiates his counsel by describing his counsel as somebody who is standing with you or a group of people that have encircled themselves around you to provide protection for you. God help me. Uh, so this means that in order for me not to allow my pain to make me like my oppressor, I've got to praise God because while I was waiting on him to handle my haters, he's been keeping me company during the chaos of life. Okay. Uh, I know y'all don't get it yet, but, but you got to look back over your life and you've got to realize that the only reason you made it is because you didn't have to deal with the hell and high water of life on your own. Oh uh, God, that, that God gave you his secret counsel, Lord have mercy. That when you thought you were by yourself, he encircled himself around you. That as a hen gathers her wings around her eggs, that as an eagle, God help me, circles her nest, that God by himself wrapped his arms around you. It is then a blessing that the omnipresence of God, Lord have mercy, that his everywhereness, Lord have mercy, that his ability to be everywhere everywhere at the same time causes me to feel like I'm protected by an army even when it looks like on the outside I'm by myself I heard I heard an old preacher Pastor Temple from Omaha Nebraska he told a story I'll never forget it Mike he says uh, that there was an old man uh, that took a shortcut home through an alley every night and one night while he was walking through the alley a man jumped out of the shadows to rob him he said give me all your money the man had a loaded gun uh, and as the old man reached in his pocket to pull out his wallet and his money pastor temple says that the robber looked up at him and ran away a few hours later, when he got home, he called the police and he found out that the police or that the man had turned himself in to the police just a few miles down the road. Uh, and the few miles down the road happened to be just a block away from his house. Uh, the man, although ill-advised, 
ran down to the squad car at the corner because he said he had to talk to the man because he wanted to know why the man walked off when he could have robbed him and taken him for all he had. The man got down to the squad car and uh, the window was down and the robber was sitting in the back seat of the squad car getting ready to go to the jail and the man asked him, he said, sir, I hate to bother you. He said, but I got to ask you a question. He said, you had me at gunpoint. Your gun was loaded. I'm sure you've robbed other people before. I was reaching in my pocket to give you what I had. But for some reason, you walked away. He said, sir, can I ask you why you walked away? And the man said, what do you mean why I walked away? Uh, 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 didn't you see that big old man that was standing behind you? And the man looked at him and said, what man? that was standing behind me. Pastor Temple would go here and say, the thief told him that his eyes were like balls of fire. Lord, help me. That his hair were like lamb's wool. That, that his feet were like polished brass. That his kneecaps were like diamonds. Is there anybody here that can say, the man walked away. Look here. I got to give it to you like this. I got to finish the story. The man walked away. And the thief asked him while he was walking away, who is that man? God, help me that was walking with you in the alley. And the old man said, he's a friend of mine. And is there anybody here who can say, the reason why I've been able to walk through the adversities of life is because I've got company with me. God, help me. I'm not by myself. I've got company with me. I'm not going through life alone. The reason why I don't go and behave like my haters is because I'm not doing this thing by myself. I know y'all ain't feeling me right through here, but I didn't preach myself happy. Grandmama would say, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own, and the joy we share, Lord have mercy. As we tarry there, none other have ever known can you do me a favor now and help me have church for a little while grab your neighbor by the hand and tell your neighbor say neighbor he was always there that's the testimony of every African in America that is the testimony of every descendant of the diaspora that God was with us the entire time that God was with us through the middle passage God was with us through the transatlantic slave trade God God was with us when we were disenfranchised and robbed of our heritage and they took our name and put us on plantations. The Lord was with us the entire time. He was with us through Jim Crow. He was with us through segregation. He was with us through the civil rights movement. When they killed Martin, he was with us the entire time. When they killed Malcolm, he was with us the entire time when Lyndon Johnson was in the White House he was with us the entire time and now that Trump is in the White House he's with me right now is there anybody here I said is there anybody here is there anybody here in the building today who knows that it's not a past tense reality, but it's a present reality. The Lord wasn't just with me, but he's with me right now. Is there anybody here? God, I feel like preaching. I said, is there anybody here in the building today who knows that the Lord was with you in the past, but he's not just leaving you in the past, but David says the Lord is a very present helm in the time, the time of trouble. Hey, is there anybody here who knows that the Lord is with you right now? Yea, the Lord walk through the valley. Good God today of the shadow of death. Will fear no evil for the Lord. Hey, the Lord is with me. He's riding.
staff, they comforted me. Surely, goodness and mercy, yeah, 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 shall follow me. Let me say it again. Surely, yes, God, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the hand of the law. Ain't God all right forever and ever. Grab, grab your neighbor's hand and say, neighbor, it's all right to be angry, but you got to trust that God is going to handle your enemies. It's all right to protest, but you got to trust that the Lord is going to handle everyone that hurts you. It's all right to shout Black Lives Matter. Hands up, don't shoot. No justice, no peace, but you got to believe that the word of the Lord over every one of your enemies is I'm going to get you sucker. If you mess with my babies, I'm going to get you sucker. If you're an oppressor, I'm going to get you sucker. If you're a violent man, I'm going to get you sucker. If you don't repent, God says sooner or later, you're going to be cut off like the grass and wither like the green herb. I wish my daddy was here so I could toss him the mic and let him close this message for me. But since he's not here, do me a favor and help me preach. Touch your neighbor for the last time and tell your neighbor, say neighbor. Oh, that's the wrong way to say it. Say it like a preacher. Say neighbor. Yeah. Be not dismayed. Whatever. Whatever be tied. God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide. God. Yes, he will take care of you. Do I have a witness here? Yes, he will. 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 Yes. Yeah! 